0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're here for another episode today, and I'm joined by, I'm going to say, a new friend of mine. Nick and I barely started chatting, but maybe about 60 seconds ago, but Nick, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast.
1: My pleasure. Please be
0: on board. Well, and and, uh, first of all, thank you for making time kind of later in your day. You're based in the UK, whereabouts?
1: In Bristol, which is um, southwest, so about 130 miles west of London.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. You know, I have I've yet to have the opportunity to visit England, and and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity, hopefully in the near future. But again, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners today, and kind of compensating for the uh, the time difference as well. But uh, I'd love to just jump right into the conversation. The first thing that we normally talk about here at the podcast is something we call the technique for time, and very simply. Much of our podcast is about how to work more efficiently as photography business owners, so that we can still have a life at the end of the day. And mm. um, so, I'm curious, what you do in your day to day or week to week workflow to create a little bit of time, a little bit of space for yourself?
1: Yeah, um, it's an interesting area. The the um, but before I went into full time photography, I was working in the software industry, so I was um, managing a, a analytics, digital um, broadcast, TV analytics. Um, platform okay, so it was a demanding job there wasn't much time um, so i was I had to look for every spare bit of time that i could that I could kind of eke out of my day and from from that world from the other sort of previous world that i've I've had a career in i've always had been very passionate about finding bits of time and mi- matching those up with tasks that you've worked out you, they've prioritized you're making sure that you're working on the best task that's going to give you what you want so all my all my, the tasks I do are prioritized so every spare even if it's just 10 minutes I make sure that 10 minutes is focused on something that's going to really make a difference for my photography business and hopefully something that I can complete in that time and I found that a real benefit that if I can if I've if I've got say half an hour while I'm waiting for the kids to play soccer or something if I can get a couple of small things done in that time that I can just say, right, they're done, they're off the board, they're they're completely finished, then I find that much more positive and it's really good for morale because you feel like you're getting through stuff rather than jumping into something that's fairly meaty, you do half an hour of it and you think I've got loads left to do and then you end up with so many things in progress that your just mind becomes bogged down with it and I found, found that really helpful and, and made me really efficient.
0: This is really interesting. And as you're talking, I'm literally making notes because I already categorize, at least at times anyway, the tasks that I'm creating in my task and project manager. I use Todoist to name the software. But I already add categories for the location where I might complete that task. Um, I, I categorize occasionally whether or not that task is proactive or reactive. This is something we've talked about quite a bit on the of podcast. But I think I'm going to also add a a section of tags for time because I really like this idea that I could pull up my to-do list and quickly do a search by a tag for, say, 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 60 minutes and find the appropriate task, depending on how much time I have, and then complete that, knowing that I've got that that amount of time to be able to complete a task. Is that how you are currently handling those tasks to use a particular system and then you're just tagging them?
1: yeah, exactly.'ve i I've got a probably very similar system. It's based around a Kanban kind of idea, so it's got you know things in a to-do list and I can make them in progress and those sorts of things. So but I do have tags that say, right these are quite small things that I could just knock out quite quickly. And the the other thing as well is that the time is keeping mindful of the priority of those things because I'm sure everyone's the same that's listening to this that when we're doing something really crappy, we can think of so many different things we'd rather be doing, and some of those things <laughs> yeah. are probably are probably not useless, but they're way down the list of importance. And yes. you know, so I, <laughs> and to stop myself doing that, it's been really useful because that, that that I was finding a lot of time just disappearing down that route.
0: No, that's a really really great point. I'm certainly guilty of that, and I would also say too, it's easy to get caught up in the process rather than focusing on getting things done and so I'll add a caveat here to our conversation which I think is wonderfully productive already and that is that uh, make sure that in the process of implementing a system uh, for for those listening in if you're implementing a system it don't get too caught up in making sure that you find you know just the perfect software or that you're your 30 step process of managing tasks (laughs) and projects has been implemented correctly. It's easy. And, and, and I speak from experience. I spent a lot of time in past years searching for just the right task management software, which is a little bit ironic because of course at the end of the day, if I'm not getting things done, then why does it matter? So I I like the simplicity first of all of just tagging or noting whether or not a task can be accomplished in say 15 minutes or 30 minutes or maybe 60 minutes. And also noting whether that thing is proactive or reactive, proactive, very simply being a task that is going to move your business forward, a reactive task, something that has to be accomplished, but isn't necessarily going to move it forward and maybe doesn't actually require you to be involved. This is something, again, that we've talked about on the podcast before. But a system that enables you to, to apply those tags. The third one that I mentioned earlier is a location as well. And that's also something that you can quickly pull up. You know, if you're out, I love that you alluded, Nick, to, to you know maybe being out at a kid's soccer game. If you're out and you know that there is a list of tasks that you can access that can be accomplished on your phone, for example, um, that you could easily pull up that task list. I like these three categories, the the time required to accomplish it, proactive or reactive, and then the location. And I think for those of you who have not implemented a task or project management system, this is a great, um, I mean, re- this could be a podcast episode just done on its own already. This is a great way to get started in that regard. Are you using a particular piece of software, Nick?
1: Yeah, I use console.io, okay. which is a an online platform just works really well. It just, I mean, you're absolutely, I totally agree with you about the analysis paralysis thing that you can go down. I went through so many different bits of software to try and work out the best one to try and speed up my workflow. And I thought I've, I've probably wasted more time than I'm, I'm ever going to waste with a bad workflow. In just trying <laughs> to <find the> <laughs> yeah, But that console.io, I would recommend it. I don't work for them. I've got no no interest um, in them other than it just seems to do the job. The, the other thing that I've that I've really found useful is to define, when you define your task, I love the idea of um, saying where you're going to complete that task because some things are just, you need to think about Though I need to think about X. And you think, well, I could do that on the way to work. I could do that when I'm riding my motorcycle. Whatever I'm doing, I can mm. have a think about that. The other thing that I find really useful is to say, right, what is the, um, and this is going back to software kind of industry thing, what's the definition of done of that task? When When's it good enough? Because I can gold plate things for days and days to make them absolutely perfect, way past the point where they're good enough, and it's because I'm quite enjoying it, so examples of that might be editing so uh, editing a photo that i'm going to go into a competition or something like that, and you've gone way past the point of this is fine it's it's not making any difference anymore and, and you, you you're it's effectively wasting time, so having a task just to say right this is done when um x and anything you right you've got to that point let's call it let's call it a day and, and move on.
0: That's really great. And and I guess in a similar vein, I was thinking too earlier when we were talking about the amount of time that we might assign to a task, for most things that we do, at least as photography business owners – Hopefully, we're not needing to spend any more than an hour. I mean, the, the exception might be, you know, meeting with a client. You don't want to rush conversation, for example. Uh, but then even in those cases, creating the expectation up front, if, if you're going to jump on a phone call with the client that, hey, I've got 30 minutes for a call today, let's let's make that happen. But you've then managed the expectation to the other person you're engaging with so that they know you have that limited time frame. And that just enables you to be able to work more efficiently. Uh, but I, I like that, that being very, very clear about what it means to accomplish a task And uh, of course, something we've also alluded to in the past on the podcast is the difference between a project and a task. So a project very simply requiring multiple tasks to complete uh, versus a task being essentially a one-step completion. And yeah. are one step for completion. And uh, that differentiation is also important. I know this is a lot that we're throwing at our listeners all at once, but I, I mean, major, major value add within the first 10 minutes, which is, which is great. That's kind of the goal of this first question. I will add just one more note here, and that is a, a resource that I've alluded to in the past, a book called Getting Things Done by a guy named David Allen. I will say that it really gets deep in the weeds when it comes to the idea of how to efficiently and effectively get things done or get more things done. But that is a, a great starting place for understanding the idea behind efficiently managing all that you have to get done. Uh, the other thing that I, I, I'll just point out, too, the difference between a piece of software that is designed for the sake of efficiency and focusing on getting things done and those pieces of software that that uh, kind of overdo it, go overboard and do Kind of cause you almost to get caught in the weeds of all the potential options in the process of getting things done. Todoist is a great option. I mentioned earlier that I personally use very clean, minimalist, simple, easy to use. There's very, there's really no learning curve. And the contrast to that is a piece of software called OmniFocus. And I'm going to go ahead and point that out so you don't spend, so our listeners don't spend time going and trying to test it out. But OmniFocus is a great example of a piece of software. Um, that where I think the, the creators kind of got caught up in the process ver- versus enabling the user to be able to just focus on getting things done. There's so many options there that you get lost in the process. And I think that, again, is quite ironic and it defeats the ultimate purpose. So uh, this has been yeah, this has been a yeah. really great conversation and totally unexpected. I really appreciate you sharing that that perspective and that advice, Nick. And speaking of free time, I'm curious when you do create that space for yourself, how do you like to spend your free time?
1: Well, the this is my I'm kind of 12 months into going full time, so I'm at that fairly early part of the business. So it is so tempting to spend every minute of every day. I'm sure everyone's the same in a similar position. So I I do try and carve out time for um time with the kids, time with my partner Dawn just to try to try and avoid having these chunks of time that I that I just bleed into in with all my other stuff that goes on. Yes. I love I love going um motorcycling as i said that's 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 something which weirdly i find very relaxing because you can't think of anything else other than just making sure you're not going to get killed in the next on the next corner <laughs> so that's so, that, so that's quite relaxing because there's no you, you can't be stressing about anything else other than that yeah um love listening to music love playing music um writing music and, and those sorts of things. so anything kind of creative is, is is where my go-to thing if i if, you know when i've got a bit of time freed up
0: now, I, it's very rare that I have a guest on the podcast who shares a love of motorcycling, so I have to go there for a second. Um, what I'm curious what kind of motorcycle you're riding.
1: It's a Triumph Daytona. Beautiful. Is
0: that a 675? Six, six, yeah.
1: six, no, uh, uh, n- 955. Five
0: 955. Five. Wow, beautiful. Yeah. So uh, do, you, do you spend some time on the track as well?
1: No, I don't. I'm uh, probably too old for that these days. But, um <laughs> No, it's, it's just yeah, it's it's great to be able to go out in in the UK when we get those four to five days of sunshine that we get every year yeah. to try and pick those and get and go out for a nice you know a nice couple of days out with a couple of friends and. Um, yeah, that, that's that's amazing. What, what do you ride?
0: I'm currently riding a what's called an Aprilia Tuono. So it's an Italian bike, a 1,200cc yep. or 1,100cc motorcycle that is essentially a, a race bike with flat bars. So I'm not bent over so extremely. So I can ride oh, for yeah. a little bit longer, which I enjoy, but then I can take it to the track, and it's, it's really designed oh, wow. for the track. It's a beautiful, beautiful machine. I actually had the opportunity to go to the track just this past weekend and... And, um, and speaking of age and riding on the track, there was a guy there who actually passed me at one point right before we dove into a corner who was in his early 70s. And uh, yeah, um, I that's, was,
1: that's my excuse gone then.
0: <laughs> yeah, your, your excuse is gone. But it was so inspiring, though, to, to see somebody who, you know, because if you're going out on track with a motorcycle, it's, it's challenging not only physically, but mentally. Your, your response and reaction times have to be in tune. So I love, and and it was encouraging too. Really, I mean, to think about the fact that I'm I'm almost forty years old now, but that I can look forward potentially to another thirty years or even more of this kind of physically, mentally challenging activity, which is also extremely exhilarating. uh, Is that's really exciting to me. So Uh,
1: so that proves that you're a glass glass half full person because because I'm a little bit older than you, but not much. But I'm thinking is this going to be my last bike? Am I to- <laughs> yeah. That's because I'm always looking on the, on the negative side.
0: <laughs> well, no, I, I would, I would encourage you and hopefully maybe even one day we we'll, we even have the opportunity to, to ride together, but I would highly encourage you to continue to do that. And all of our listeners to, to find something like, I mean, in, in this case, motorcycle riding, I may be, I realize it may be kind of the, the exception to the rule. Most people find, uh, relaxation or even meditation if you will in various ex- other activities but the significance of something like motorcycle riding and nick pointed this out a few minutes ago is that it enables you to kind of clear your mind and you know meditation the idea of meditation traditionally at least here in american culture is kind of looked on i think still in a almost a laughable light right where it's this idea of somebody sitting down and and closing their eyes and maybe humming or something like that Um, And the reality is meditation, one of the primary benefits of meditation is that it does enable you to be able to not clear your mind and that you're not thinking about anything necessarily, uh, but to to focus in and truly be present. And the act of motorcycle riding does encourage that. And I've, I've alluded to that in the podcast before, but whether it's motorcycle riding or it's a walk in the woods or it is actually sitting and meditating, whatever it might be, finding an activity like that that enables you to be able to kind of disconnect from work, to be Fully present and ultimately, as a result, refresh your mind and, and clear your mind. But some may describe it as that, I think is really, really healthy. So I appreciate you sharing that. And do tell us something else, maybe that most people don't know about you, maybe something random about yourself.
1: Well, just something random. Yeah, before, because I've had a career of either developing software or managing teams of soft, software engineers. So I've always had something fairly creative. And until um, photography came along, it was music and I was in bands. And so my first experience of weddings, I'm now a wedding photographer. My first experience of weddings was doing performing um, in a band or um, on my own sort of singer-songwriter performer. So yeah, that's probably something that certainly most of my professional clients wouldn't know
0: that's really great though (laughs) music is such a beautiful outlet i had the opportunity to grow up playing music and into college actually myself and and my kids are now playing and and uh, i need to get the i actually played clarinet which of course isn't one of those instruments that you uh, you think of somebody pulling out and and jamming with but uh, i still i still love it i think it's a beautiful instrument you can play a variety of music with it but what instruments do you specialize in
1: guitar mostly so guitar singing and a bit of piano but yeah mostly guitar
0: I love that. There is, there's, for those of you who are not musicians, at least not naturally, so. music is, it it gives you just kind of like motorcycling. It's one of those things that not not everybody does, but it carries a certain level of exhilaration and relaxation. And again, that mental stimulation all simultaneously. And uh, I mean, there's nothing like it, not to mention that it it brings goosebumps, at least for me occasionally. In fact, I was listening to um, just sound orchestral soundtrack music earlier while I was getting some work done. And I find that extremely relaxing and even inspiring, depending on the work that I'm doing as well, which is really nice. But I appreciate you sharing that as well, Nick. Take us, let's go a little bit different direction. Share maybe one of the most impactful books that you've read, maybe ever, or even just in the last year or two, whether that's fiction or nonfiction, and and tell us a little bit about how that made an impact in your life.
1: Probably nonfiction, it would be There's a book called Productivity Ninja, which is probably I imagine it's talking about a lot of the same stuff that that is the book that you mentioned five minutes ago. Sure. um, About making really good use of your time and thinking about what your what how your brain works and when are you really creative in the day and if if that's first thing in the morning, then for goodness sake, don't spend that first two hours going through your emails, which most of us do because (laughs) do do that when you're exhausted and can't be bothered to do anything else. So that that was. A bit of a life changer likewise the the uh, it's a lot of the stuff that i've I've talked about so far uh, about making you know working having a workflow where you're minimizing the number of things that are in progress and you' you're just working on a single task that's well defined you know when it's finished, you know what the quality of it needs to be, and you prioritize them properly so that when you run out of time and this, this and this works for projects too it, it, if you've got if you've got a project do like it might be to create a new website which i did a few months ago i've got a great big list of things that i would like it to have you prioritize prioritize those so that the 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 things at the bottom are the stuff that I'd be really lovely if it had some video transitions and stuff but that's not going to be a deal breaker and you would prioritize in that way so that when you run out of time you the good news is that you the stuff you haven't done is the stuff that you don't really care about that much anyway and you make sure you've really invested well with with the time that you put into it
0: oh that's good yeah, and we'll make sure actually to link to that particular book in the show notes as well. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, and um, on the other the other thing that I get a huge amount of inspiration from is anything around mountaineering, exploration. So Captain Scott's tribulations and trials in the Antarctic, anything like that. Um, I don't know why, because I've never been a rock climber, but I just find that really inspiring. Sort of just going, deciding you're going to do something, planning to do it, and just just having the courage to do it and ultimately failing in, in Scott's case. But, you know, just just better to go out there and have a go at something and fail than to just not try anything. And that's something that, that, I, that, that triggered me into going into photography was, was thinking, well, it, it's risky, we've got a big mortgage, I've got two children, my partner's got two children. What happens if it goes wrong? I was chatting to my son, who was only 10 at the time, and he just said, well, just do it. I thought, actually that's, that's quite good advice. Oh I love <laughs> so, it. So I just I just did it and you know, and and that that I haven't looked back since. And I think probably anyone that's started their own business, I've not spoken to anyone that's that's has not said it was the best thing that, that, that they could have done for them, you know, and, and it's not for everybody, you know, going going full time into photography isn't um necessarily the thing that everyone should do, especially if you like taking photos all the time because that's something that you do increasingly less of or I do anyway but for me that was the thing still I just needed that nudge and the fact that my son Charlie said it without any of the just seemed so obvious to him if you want to do something and you think you can do it then just do it
0: and I love the simplicity of that. you know. And a lot of people might argue, well, he's just a child, and, and he doesn't have any perspective, and his perspective is too simplistic, and on and on and on, and all the excuses come up. And yet, the reality is that that, that child-like, or that not, not even like, but the actual perspective of a child is so simple, and it removes a lot of the BS that we allow to get in, in our own way. So many mm, sure. times. The other thing that I, I love about what you're sharing there is, is taking inspiration from those that actually are proactive in nature. You know, one of the things that honestly has kind of bothered me as of late, there's, there's been a trend, uh, particularly in social media and Facebook and, and, and Instagram and so forth, in the direction of more transparency and vulnerability and reality, which I 100% can appreciate what i'm what i think is potentially problematic though is that there's so much focus on the negative in that process rather than a, and kind of a reactive mentality and i'm struggling with this and i'm struggling with that and and so much focus on that kind of reactive state of mind versus the proactive state of mind and i think there can be a healthy balance of both the proactive and reactive but i would like to follow and take inspiration from somebody who is primarily proactive in nature, who is about actually doing versus just simply talking about it. And I think that it we would all stand to, to um, I guess, improve our life in some form or fashion by following that type of person or those people who are proactive in nature, who are getting things done. And, you know, I mean, a, a very simple example of this is somebody that we've talked quite a bit about here on the podcast, and that is Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, you can't imagine a more proactive, more driven individual. And while I don't necessarily want to live to that extreme, at least in my business life, I take a lot of inspiration from somebody who doesn't make excuses and just simply continues to push forward. And I think we could all stand to have a little bit more of that mentality. So I love that you take inspiration in that. Thank you again for sharing about these books. Let's go the direction of business and, and more specifically a photography business at this point. You mentioned earlier that you've been in business full-time for about a year, and we're going to get into some of the details of that and what it means to actually go full-time here in just a second. But talk to us a little bit about your your photography business's brand position. What sets you apart from the other photographers in your market?
1: Well, I've always tried to do, I've always always been into creating artworks, whether it's with Pen and ink, or paint, or something like that. So that's that that flowed completely straight into my photography. I, I didn't start taking photos until very late on about 2014. I got my first camera, and it was purely as a way I was traveling with work, with my work quite a lot. So I, I thought I'd I would like to do some paintings of the of places I'm going to see. So I went to Malaysia and places like that. So I got a camera just to take some photos, so I could come back and then draw them, and and that that was the idea. And then realized that I've loved the process of taking those photos. It was just so much more immediate than 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 the creating artwork, and, and so I went into that that direction. That so so that that has gone into my brand of trying to be fairly artistic, looking at composition, having very strong composition in in, in my work, and and even with weddings, you know, the, 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 there's ways to do that most most venues in the UK have got the, the ones that I tend to shoot at shoot at that do have some lovely scenery around them. They've got the, Rolling fields and woodland and, and those sorts of things and sort of positioning um, a couple in, in 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 within that landscape can be a really you know powerful photo. So so I tend to go down that route. I also have tried to exploit in in my branding the things that I know I'm pretty good at just because it makes sense, right? If it, if, if you're good at them, they're going to they're going to come more easily. So things like project management and just offering a high level of service, it's just stuff I've always done in my career before that. So that was easy to just you know be, be able to market me market my business is the kind of we've got this kind of service so you don't need to worry about photography we'll manage it there's going to be contingency planning if it's bad weather you just don't need to worry about it so that that's been quite heavily pushed as well I also am pretty relaxed I, I don't get very stressed and a lot of people have said to me do I find weddings sure you know surely that must be a really stressful job but it's nowhere near as stressful as some of the other jobs I've had where, where they've got a project of 40 people working towards it and deadlines looming it's nothing like that it's just much more in the moment that's interesting You're much more mindful with it and um take control of it a lot better so um so yeah so so I that that kind of um all goes into sort of trying to present a good service level relaxed relaxed shoot so people don't feel that they're being put into awkward poses or anything like that and i'm starting to find that that's really starting to work so i I do wherever i can whether it's a social media post a comment or a blog article or when i'm chatting to people um before their wedding or a trade fair or something like that i'm trying to give the same messaging and i'm starting to find that people are now coming to me because they've heard that you know this is the guy that's going to do photos where you don't really know he's taking photos and they're just they're just starting, you know pictures at the end of the day and that and that that's really lovely cuz it's showing that, that that is working i think it's just consistency rather than necessarily saying this is the perfect model for me it's just choose something and be consistent with all your branding so that it kind of all speaks the same language
0: yeah, consistency is huge. But you mentioned something at the very beginning that um, we actually haven't really spent any time on here at, at the Boca Podcast, and that is composition. Are, are there particular elements of composition that you focus on when when it comes to creating an image? Are there particular ideas that you keep in mind as you're composing an image?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really pay a huge amount of attention to it. I don't put lots of effort into it. It's just something that I know that that's going to create a nice image, whether it's people walking into the frame, or you want them walking out of the frame, or or, how, or you know or, or how it's or how, how it's going to work. I'm not one of these photographers that's going for super challenging, uh, right in the bottom corner or any, or anything like that. But I can I know what my ideal clients are going to like. I know they're going to like a certain type of landscape with them in it. It's how I came into photography from landscape. That's what people want. And the other, the other side of my my work is quite different. So there's there's two halves. There's the the wider the, the wider sort of um, landscapey type shots, but then much tighter um, photos that are focusing on interactions, very soft interactions between my clients, which are typically you know uh, wedding clients, and and those two things kind of play off really nicely. So you've got very intimate. Photos, um, where you can see you can see what they're feeling, and then wider, more storytelling kind of um, artworks, which which are the ones that people want to get printed and put above their fireplace. Which it's just you know such a big privilege to be able to do that.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, I'm I'm actually on your Instagram page right now, and for those of you listening in, make sure that you take a look at Nick's Instagram. It's just Nick N I C K Church Photography on Instagram. And uh, of course, his website, uh, same thing, nickchurchphotography.co.uk. And we'll link to both of these in the show notes at bokehpodcast.com, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. But uh, I have to say, Nick, and this is something that I've I've begun to appreciate more and more, Is variety. And when you're talking about composition, the variety of composition that is displayed on your Instagram account is really wonderful, really refreshing. A variety of use, actually, not just of composition, but also light. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate that. You know, there is a tendency and this is something I've begun speaking on or commenting on a little bit more as of late, but there's a tendency in the photography industry to kind of come up with a look, whether that's copied from another photographer's style that you like, or maybe something that you somehow created yourself that might carry a unique slant Mm -hmm. to to create this particular look. And then you see the same thing, pretty much the same thing or the same color scheme all the way through. And I, I don't know, that's, because there are so many people doing that, to actually see somebody's work have this kind of variety is refreshing and wonderful. And so kudos to you for that and, and props well, to you for you. that. And w- I would suggest our listeners um, go take a look because there's some, some really, really wonderful work there in your Instagram account. Uh, moving on though, I, I'm curious, how do you, What what is the tef- toughest lesson? I mean, you've been in business now for a relatively short amount of time. What is the toughest lesson that you've learned and how have you Kind of taken that lesson and applied it moving forward within your photography business.
1: Yeah, it's a a good question. I I think I did allude to this earlier that photography is. I I imagined I'd be doing a lot more photography (laughs) than I'm doing. I'm I'm flat out. I'm really, really busy. But it's a a lot of the other stuff where you go from it being a hobby, where the photography is all you pretty much do, to, to that actually being probably you know somewhere down the list with things like social media branding um accountancy, organizing meetings and managing projects, and everything else being kind of probably above that and I think that's something that's really important to bear in mind when you're at that point of going ahead so that's been quite a tough you know and i and i i love it i, I absolutely love it I'd love to do something creative and i the business side of it I'm absolutely comfortable with, so it's absolutely fine but it that was quite surprising and and I've also realized that I'm really bad at admin um I, thought, I, I never thought I was great at it. I was always fairly disorganized, but I realize now that there's no other office manager that I've always had, sort of <laughs> catching all the mess that I'm making, that um, <laughs> yeah, I, I am just really disorganized. And so the, the way, what I've had to do, and, and it, it came as a bit of a shock, um, really, that and a, anyone that, that's shot a wedding, particularly a wedding or a fixed event where you can't miss it, will... will empathize with this I was in a meeting at work and I was organizing a conference call with the San Diego team and um, a team in Mumbai and, and I had a text message come in and th- th- so this is when I was running the, the two full-time jobs side by side text message came in saying hi Nick we're at the venue we hope you're on your way and I didn't know who it was or what what venue they were at and oh, as, far- no. as far as I was I-, I had in my mind there was a couple just about to get married waiting for the f- photographer to turn up and I went p- completely white. I, w- I was clammy. People asked in the meeting whether I was uh, was unwell because I was so nervous. Uh, I very quickly went through my emails with the phone number and sort of reverse-engineered who it was from, and it turned out it was... Uh, a, a venue visit rather than a the actual wedding. Oh wow! So so bad. None, you know, nonetheless, it, that's pretty bad to completely miss that, and it's something I've never done again. And I realized, I realized at that point that I need to have a better system. So I that was when I started investing in workflow management software to kind of be my second brain for that kind of stuff because I know that I just can't keep all of the things in the, in my head that I need to. So now I have a system that it tells me when I need to be places and. Tells me if I'm booked already and manages that workflow with the client, and that's that that's been really useful. So it's it's kind of reinforced, and it's it's stupid for me to think that I was really good at that stuff because I've always said, do what you do best and outsource the rest of it, and and that's something that I just had to re, read my own kind of message really and do that. So yes, yeah, so I do just that. Is outsource the things that I now know that I'm just not not very good at. And the problem with not being very good at something is is often not that you make that you mess it up or make mistakes. It's just that it takes you loads of time to accomplish something that someone that's expert in it can do so much more quickly. So it's just not very efficient use of your time. And by getting that off your plate, you can focus on something that is going to make a difference and it is something that you're, you know, excelling at.
0: And it, and it's a really wonderful point. And you know, it'd be one thing if if we were. Artists who were creating one-off pieces of artwork that we were selling for thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollars or more a piece, and you know we had one client to deal with in that case. That that would be a whole different conversation. But when photographers speak about being artists and how they need to control everybody the process, and then in the in that process get absolutely bogged down, and as a result provide a poor experience for their clients, I I think they're missing the point. And um, the reality, of course, is that we can both offer a really beautiful product, finished product in the imagery, a great experience and simultaneously still have a life after it's all said and done. If we're willing to proactively address the weak points, outsource that busy work, and then ultimately free ourselves up to focus on the things that we're good at, as you pointed out earlier. So this is a really, really great reminder. I'm glad that you bring that up. And I am curious, what CRM system are you using currently to manage your business?
1: I use a UK-based um, company called Light Blue Software. R- really good. It's a small company, which means there's there's feature updates very very frequently. Yeah. Disclaimer: I I do blog pieces for them as well, so I am there is a link to that to that organisation. But it oh, sure. it, it, work, it works for me. It's kept me organised. It, it's on more than one occasion saved me from missing something quite important. So yeah, and all the other ones that that, that exist in the world. I know mean, Student Student Ninja, very popular. Um, just, just very, you know, the the value these things can provide, for a uh, to get all of that stuff out of crazy spreadsheets that are fragile. They're going to go wrong. You're going to lose stuff. Just get it out of the way and into something a bit more solid.
0: Yeah, I mean, as as we are in 2018, and as many different options as we have with regards to studio management software now that are web based, easily accessible, the cost very, very little. Uh, there's really no reason to continue to use a system like a spreadsheet that is no. well you know i mean spreadsheets in and of themselves are quite powerful if you know how to use them, but they 're not specifically designed to manage a client experience whereas these crm systems are and um, so taking advantage of those tools are it's so so important and enables you to be able to to manage the multiple elements or pieces of a photography business. And that's so, so important. Speaking of tools and important tools, I'm curious what a favorite tool or more specifically, more specifically a photographic tool that you're currently using is for you. Do you have a, a favorite camera body or lens or accessory of some kind?
1: Yeah, well, I've alongside many other certainly my kind of networking groups. A lot of other people are moving to a Sony system, and I've I've done that this year. It, it solved zero problems that I had before. <laughs> it was purely a, a, a case of gas and a very expensive one um, at that. But I do love you. Do love the system. I I've come from Nikon, and there are some things I miss with Nikon, but. I, I do love the the, the, the mirrorless system. And I did start with mirrorless before I went to a full frame DSLR uh, when I was doing landscape stuff. And I've, I do like going back to a smaller body with a meaningful experience of using the rear LCD to compose images. It means I can get more involved into a group of people, just get a bit more immersive within that group rather than shielding my face with a great big camera. And for me, that makes quite a difference because people are just less less cagey when i sort of approach them
0: yeah no that's a, that's a really great point but i also appreciate your transparency in saying that it didn't solve any problems that existed previously would you mind sharing what you meant by that
1: um just that i always like to think if, if you're going to invest in something then that there should be a a goal at the end of it what 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 is the problem so if you buy a new car you're buying a new car just because you fancy to drive something new or is there a problem with the old car and even if it is if you're open to yourself and say i just really fancy having a new car that's fine but i think we can convince ourselves um as photographers that things like i autofocus that's the thing that's going to change my that change my work completely and i'm going to be producing and actually it isn't you know we've all of all photographers hob- hobby hobbyists professionals semi professional whatever have probably got kit that's plenty good enough to take images that people are going to buy 100% yeah it isn't the thing that's stopping that's stopping you making a business out of it and so so I have to be honest so i just re really, I, I like the sound of it I love a bit of technology and i and I really just quite fancied having you know just a bit of a change and so it, there was no problems with my work before I loved having nikon Nikon equipment but the, the sony stuff it has been really interesting I love the aisle focus but I'm not going to pretend that that's got that's got me loads of shots that I wouldn't have had before um but so it, it's a bit better on the back, and again, I didn't really suffer from a bad back, so I can't really even use that. As a, <laughs> as a good
0: you just love the gear. Well, hey, at least you're being yeah, honest with it. yourself. Yeah. But but I think yeah. it's a great point that you bring up, which is that you know, well, first of all, I, I can still say that the equipment that I was using as a wedding photographer 15 years ago, I could still take a decent image with that with that equipment. Now, the reality is, if you know how to use the image and you have a decent understanding of photographic principles, I mean, you could you could shoot a wedding with an iPhone now, for that matter. Um, the yeah. idea that we have to go spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for for the the latest lenses and and bodies is just—it's truly a misnomer. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad that you bring this up, and also the significance of being honest with ourselves, especially as new photography business owners, where we need to be able to to proactively manage our budget. And the reality is, we're probably not shooting enough, or have not shot enough to justify going and spending another five to you know 6 or 8000 or 10000 dollars or pounds on on new equipment. We need to make the best of of what we've got now and there's plenty of great equipment out there I and mean, we've highlighted some of that on the podcast uh, t- that we can take advantage of to take a really beautiful image as long as we're paying close attention to the moment, to emotion, yeah. to light. And, uh, and, and there's really little excuse for it, for us not being able to grab great images, even with the, the baseline equipment. So I love that you bring Absolutely, that up yeah.
1: and, uh, I, I've, I've, um, there, there was a, I can't remember where I read it, it, it. I think it's probably one of those kind of folklore things. A lot of people have said, but for the, certainly in the UK, for the price of a, a lens, you can get, you can spend a week in Iceland, you know, wow. so take the camera you've got and go to Iceland and photograph waterfalls and glaciers and things like that because that's going to be something that has a dramatic effect on your on your output okay you know all right you can't shoot quite as dark in in quite as dark as room but just don't go into a dark room with it just focus focus on that and um but that's that's a bit pointless because I didn't follow that advice at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I just appreciate your honesty. And this is really a great segue into um, kind of our focus uh, for this podcast episode today, which has to do with going full-time. I know that you've got you've, you've learned from this process of going full-time some pretty important ideas that you're going to share with our listeners here in just a second. But talk to us a little bit more. You, you were beginning to tell us a bit about this earlier, but talk to us a little bit more about the backstory. How did you get into business as a photographer? And, and then what did that process look like? How did that transition from part-time or even hobbyist um, look like to going full-time?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, as I say, I, I because I only started shooting uh, in 2014, I haven't even had loads of time as, as being a hobbyist, really. I just knew it. I thought, I, I can take decent photos. I know that I can make a business out of this. And it's something creative. I've always needed that. And when I was writing software and designing software, that's quite that can be quite a creative process. And since leaving that kind of world and going more into the sort of director level and management levels, then you lose all of that. And so I, I was really keen to go forward with that. I, I started just with taking shots around Bristol, my hometown. There's some fairly dramatic geology around Bristol, so I was able to get some of that. And I started exhibiting them in cafes Art centers, places like that, and a few people then came along and asked if I would shoot weddings. And I've all, I've never been shy at blagging things a bit, so I've, I just responded absolutely. I'll do that. And figured I had nine months to work out how to how to shoot a wedding, and that that's what got me into it. I guess from that point from that point forward, it was working out. Did I want to do that? What? How did I um, get from where I was? to To be a professional photographer, I didn't know if I wanted to be a wedding photographer or whether I was whether I was going to do landscapes. Pragmatically, I knew it would have to be weddings if I was going to make an income that would enable me to leave my current job. That was just the facts of it. So that that was that was how I ended up going down that down that path.
0: And how did you begin to get enough clients in order to make that that leap? Because as you pointed out, the reality is you had to replace an existing income. And you were beginning to shoot, kind of doing odd jobs here and there. But how did you begin to make that transition and be able to book enough clients uh, and, and build on this momentum in order to then go full time?
1: So uh, it was two words. That's Facebook ads. Yes. So I put a huge amount in Facebook ads within the first year after I shot my first first wedding. Uh, within six months using Facebook advertising, I had um, got another 20 or so bookings, 25 wow. bookings. And I didn't go in at you know I I I knew that the fact that I wasn't twenty one, the fact that I had a lot of outgoings in my life, I knew I couldn't just start it doing a whole wedding for three hundred dollars and just you know try and build it. I had to go in at a fairly decent price. So so I I went straight in, and that's how I got those those bookings. And, And that's something I still do today. I still I still use that platform to as an additional. I consider it to be a de-risk from re- recommendations and trade fairs. I think if you can spread out the route that people take to come to you, I think it's it's pretty wise in terms of making sure that you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So so that enabled me to get a pretty good pipeline in place. I, I did know that um, I would need a lot of weddings to be able to move, a lot or certainly a significant number of high-value weddings, to be able to make the leap from my day job into that on its own so I what I realized was I couldn't mess around I had to go quite quickly at it and I had to be able to build it up quickly because I knew I wouldn't be able to do I couldn't spend five years building up a wedding photography business where I was doing 40 weddings a year I just didn't you know you can't do two jobs may especially with a job that's really demanding and you have to do a lot of working late you have to do a lot of business travel and everything else um so that first year I did 20 or so Uh, the 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 next year was very difficult that was when i did 45 weddings and also a full-time job and then that enabled me to sort of springboard into um this time last year where i could then give up that give up that main job
0: so i there are a number of uh, really i guess a primary follow-up question to this is is with regards to facebook ads and i know this could be an episode in and of itself First of all, I want to highlight the quote that you made, which was to spread the route or spread out the route that people take to get to you. And I, I really like that way of, of framing the idea of kind of putting in, in the U.S. We we say putting feelers out, but but the idea of creating brand awareness and at different potential inroads for business. So when we've talked about the significance of networking. With local wedding vendors, of course, developing, continuing to develop and and build on the relationship that we have with clients, so that that leads to referrals and facebook ad, facebook ads we 've spent a little bit of time on, but this is such a loaded topic it 's hard to kind of squeeze it into an episode i 'm curious <laughs> though. If it maybe just off the top of your head, is there something that comes to mind, a big idea that made a significant difference in the success that you saw with the Facebook ad platform? Because it's it's a very highly involved platform. It's been an ongoing yeah. learning experience for us, even at Photographers Edit. We've used it a little bit for the podcast, but how to go about most effectively using that platform and of course ultimately getting the best ROI. But what was something that made a really big difference in the success that you saw with Facebook ads?
1: The, um, the 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 thing that I found most successful is actually the type of advert. I've tried all the, t- the different types of advert and Facebook Facebook ad, ad platform launch new types of adverts all the time. So carousel of slideshows, a short video, a single pain advert, and they just never work. I've tried I've tried so many of the new ones. They just never work as well as just creating a standard Facebook post with a great load of um, your best work get in and there make it very clear in the text what people need to do what you what what you're offering and what people need to do next so you've got clear call to action um, I always put a discount in my Facebook ads even if it's five percent three percent the time that I didn't do that nothing so people in Facebook they're not looking for cheap photographers which I think is a a misconception certainly in my in my in my networking group people mm. think that we've got loads of what we call over here tire kickers, people that are just not really going to buy off you or they're trying to drive the price down. Sure. I don't get that at all, but they do want to, to have a discount. They want to feel they're getting a, an offer of yes. some sort. Yes, So I always put an offer in there, loads of images, and then go into the ad manager platform and boost it from there so that you can target the um, population that I want to go to. And that's going to be brides within a certain age group, within a geographic region. And I don't, I don't, make it any more specific than that i don't uh, uh, sorry not brides and ing- get people that engaged to be married brides will probably be the worst possible person to market. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's, a,
0: it's a good point it's a good point now i'm curious so this is wonderful that you've had such great success from what really ultimately is not an overly complicated process uh and and I, i'm sure many of our listeners can learn from that but i know that we've seen the biggest success from videos and more specifically Very organic, natural, basically me just talking to the camera type videos. Have you ever experimented with video ads and compared that with these types of posts that you were describing?
1: No, I haven't. um, Yeah, I've not tried doing any Facebook Live um, events or anything like that. I I wouldn't be against it. I think think it is a very engaging way to sort of reach out to people.
0: But the reality is you found success in, in a particular format and you're running with it. I like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, until it's you know you keep if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, it's, it's not, um, it seems it's working. It it seems to have carried on working beyond the changes to GDPR in the UK or in Europe. That there's been a lot of regulation in um, this year about the use of data and specifically the use of people's data to target them for things like advertising mm-hmm. has been effectively completely banned. Has been swapped around where you, you have to now opt in for that kind of thing rather than it used to be a untick this box if you don't want us to use your details, but you, you, that's now not possible to do that. So, but it survived all of that and it's still, it's still a really viable option um, for me and it, it probably, I probably still get a third half of my bookings that way.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing this. And again, this could be a podcast episode in and of itself, but what a what a great primer for somebody who is has never even tried this. And, and I think there's still, while Facebook ads have certainly become much more popular, I think there's still opportunity for, for photographers to take advantage of that platform if they do it intelligently and with intention. And it sounds like you're doing that. I appreciate you sharing that nick and and I want to jump to the advice um you sent this to me ahead of time, and there's kind of three main ideas that you would suggest photographers, particularly photographers that are getting started in photography or interested in going full time, that they should consider if they're interested in making that jump to full time. Would you mind sharing those with us
1: yeah, of course the the first one was really is being full time photographer something that you want to do, and I think if you want to keep creating beautiful photographs um being passionate about your art and all these other things it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right thing for you because it, it uh, from my perspective i know that when i see a gorgeous sunset in the last year or so i know about about two years ago i would have grabbed a camera and i'd have shot out and i'd have gone to get photos i just can't be bothered now because i know it's going to go into a list of about five thousand wedding photos I have to edit, mm. so I, I just don't do that. However, I do love I, I do love being able to create wedding photos, and I, so so that, that there is um, flip sides to it. You have to be able to sell yourself. It's really important. Certainly at things like trade fairs, it, people don't go, or, or any form of advertising, people don't go for the best work that and because work for a start that's subjective in any case so people just i think your work has to not be awful so you have to but, but people are buying you so certainly when you're at a trade fair wedding fair and people are talking to you that's what they're investing in they're not really looking at the work and deciding whether that's the stuff they think that's nice what's this guy like that's the person that's going to be coming up and shooting on the day and and some people are great at doing that some people aren't um, I'm really awful at other things, but I'm pretty good at that bit. So I know that that's something that I can do. Um, and I think it's about assessing all of these things, whether it's, is that something that you're going to be comfortable doing and is going to, um, are they all going to interleave into a successful venture? Because there will be no, nothing worse than leaving a, a day job. And, and in some cases, a career, you know, that there, there are, that there are my career is an example of this, that it's kind of one way. Once once you've once you've left it, it'd be quite hard to get back into because you've been out of the game for a couple of years, uh, and it's just very difficult. So I think you have to be quite clear on on that point.
0: And and I think that what really helps in that case too, probably, is getting some outside feedback because it's very easy, as you pointed out earlier, when it comes to even doing something as simple as whether or not to or making a decision whether or not to buy gear our we can kind of get lost in our own perspective and what can be an even distorted perspective so getting outside feedback and perspective is probably a good thing too correct
1: yeah absolutely yeah i, mean, I think you you do want that and i think i had that um in my business from the fact that i was exhibiting art artwork as kind of landscape pictures so i I was getting good females, getting good sales through that route. It wasn't enough to get my job, but it, it it did give me the confidence that in, in my work and my ability. Um, and I think that that is really important as well.
0: And we have um, to be real with ourselves. Is again speaking to the idea of of kind of honesty with ourselves, the significance of. The fact that that photography or a photography business is made up not just of photography, but all the other moving parts as well. Now, if, if we're intelligent business owners, we'll develop systems and figure out ways to delegate and to outsource and be able to manage it ultimately in an efficient way so that we're not overrun by it. But we that is the reality of a photography business at the end of the day. And, and really, probably one of the primary reasons why so many photography businesses fail is that this person who wants to, quote, be a photographer goes into it, focusing on the photography and spends a little time on the rest of it. And mm-hmm. um, so there are multiple moving parts to running a photography business. It may seem like an obvious thing, but a lot of photographers don't consider that and they fail as a result. So I think yeah, asking... I, I
1: think that's right. That's yeah. right. And the, I think you're right as well when you say about your confidence in your work and getting the feedback from other people, for other people that are going to be honest about your work is really important because um, I think what, what we find as individuals... In things that we do, the skills that you need to be able to assess whether you're good at something is also the skills you need to be good at it. So, what that means is, you can find in any field, you can find someone that's absolutely convinced they're brilliant, but that they're, they're just they don't have that that built-in skill to do it. Um, but if they if they did if they could look at their work and, and appraise it and say what well, if you could look at your, your own work and say Wow, I really, you know, I love that. I love what this other photographers are doing, How can I get my work like that? Then you're asking yourself all the right questions because you're seeing that there's ways to go that in, in how you can develop your, you know, the quality of, of your work. As soon as you start thinking like that, then that's that's really good news. I hear a lot of people saying that I'm really frustrated. I can't get the editing style that I see from other photographers, but that's really good news because it means you'll get there because you can identify that there's a gap between your work. If if someone's saying, "Yep, I'm absolutely great. I've got nothing more to change here," then that that is a bit of a warning sign to me that, you know, we should always be looking, how can we improve? How can we do better? Um, so, so having that built in, I think is really important at the start.
0: Yeah. And having that objective outside perspective about our work is important. Simultaneously, also having somebody who's willing to be honest with us and say, hey, you know what, running a business just isn't your strength. So if you're going to do that, here are the things that you might consider in order to make it happen. Or you know what, It may just be best in the end to keep photography that passionate hobby that it has been and take advantage of the the wonderful opportunity that you have to work at a job that takes good care of you and, and call it a day. So there's, you know, photography, it's so much easier to get into now. But at the end of the day, there is a lot that it takes to run a photography business. Still, we have to consider all elements and having that objective perspective is is really, really yeah. important. Let's jump to the next idea, though. We, the, the first is really to be honest with ourselves. Do we actually want to run a photography business? And and uh, you broke that down in wonderful detail. But take us to the next idea.
1: The, the next idea is what your exit strategy might be. And again, this is a a, a huge subject area are, are you going to this is questions I asked myself is how uh, am I going to just go for it as quickly as possible? do we just want to dip your toe in the water and see how things go for a couple of years and, and that can make a make a big difference in how you approach it so i I decided to get straight in I knew I wanted to do it uh, as quickly as possible that that can mean that as I said that that you it's a one way street certainly my career and you you the reason for that is i think anyone that's gone from a full time job into a full time full time non 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 photography job into a into full time photographer they would be lying if they said there was no time during their work day that they did, they weren't checking facebook messages or answering emails and all these other things that their photography business needed i think all of us are going to do that it's human nature you know if if i was in a meeting and i see a message come in for my photography business asking if I was free on a certain date, I'm not going to wait until six o'clock in the evening to get back to that person. And so it's very tempting to do that. You do that enough, you're going to start to not perform to your best ability in your day job. So you don't want to go too far down that route before you get to a point where you can't go back because you're going to get fired. So I had to go, you had to go pretty, I had to go pretty quickly. The the other, the other area of this is, making sure that financially that it's gonna work and that was something that was was my biggest fear was not that I that I it would fail because I don't mind I don't mind failing in anything. I'd rather do that and try, but that the, the, the work wouldn't be there and I'd have made a decision that could be negative for um me, my partner, our family and those sorts of things. So that's that's why I did a, a business plan and I was trying to work out spreadsheets are very good for this incidentally, working out what the pipeline what the income for the next twelve months might be like now, I think what that doesn 't mean is you don 't necessarily mean need twelve months' worth of photography work queued up before you say you 're going to leave your main job, but you do need to have confidence that by within that twelve months you 're going to get enough so i'd I 'd kept a sort of running window of the last twelve months or or rather from every twelve months forward. I was looking at what what my what my pipeline was going to be like. So every new booking that came in, it would improve the position that I was in, and I knew that I knew the income would come from existing bookings that that they finally paid their the the, the, the final value of the, the wedding, new bookings, extras like albums or videography, and other bits of photography like family shoots or architectural. These are all the streams of income that I had. Um, so I didn't. I had that down for the bookings I had. I then made a projection based on the previous 12 months of how much of each of those areas I thought would come in to add into that total. I added in a factor to, because if you're just doing photography, obviously you can market yourself a lot more, so you should be able to get a bit more business. So I fairly conservatively had a factor that I would multiply that by um, because I could then Spend all of my time marketing that, that that for this sort of work, and that would all boil down to a figure, which was going to be my income through photography or a projected income for the next twelve months. And when that, so it's very clinical. When that figure became the same as my salary, my main job, that was when I decided to jump ship.
0: Well, but it's you say clinical, but ultimately it's relatively simple. Formula that we're talking about too. You know, if if we if we can understand math at the level of say a middle schooler, uh, we can do the math necessary to figure out what it is that we need to make as a photographer, and and then you know this is something that we've talked about before on the podcast. The idea of a big picture view, and part of what makes up that big picture view is for ourselves as photography business owners has to do with the long term, and that could be kind of the the mid long term, and then the the long long term, but Part of that is what we need to make and that's to what we need to make in order to pay the bills, what we need to make in order to put a little bit of money in savings and what we need to make in order to ideally take at least one, maybe a couple of vacations, you know, even if it's just a few days or a week here and there uh, during that year. And this is the total amount of money that, that we need in order to be able to full time be a professional photographer. And mm-hmm. so just doing simple math like that, number one, it creates awareness number two, it creates goals. Because like you pointed out, Nick, you may not have all the weddings necessary to generate that figure at the time that you choose to go full time. But now you have a very specific goal to work toward. And um, you know how many portrait sessions or how many weddings you need to book and how many prints and how many albums you need to sell. And it's just those tangible numbers that can make all the difference in the world because now we're working towards something specific. It's not just this haphazard existence. Uh, as As a photographer, so I think that 's really really important as well and and as i 've mentioned before in the podcast, this also enables us to be able to to decide pricing pricing isn 't actually that complicated a topic. so much of our pricing should be determined by the business model that we 've created, which is driven by these very numbers that we 're talking about here. We need to make x amount of money so and and we want to spend x amount of time making that money in order to do that then we need to create this particular business model that targets this particular clientele which means we need to and that we're going to need to book a certain number of weddings or portrait sessions a year with that particular clientele in order to make the money that we want to and it's it's really very very simple math we just simply have yeah. to take the time to sit down to think about it to write it out or to use a spreadsheet have a conversation with with a partner if there's a partner involved and uh, be real with ourselves, but we just take the time to do it and that is going to put i mean sadly, I think this would put so many photographers who have existing businesses even in a much better place because now they have actual numbers to work with i w- right. 've said this before in the podcast the the thing that I would say to any new photographer. To, the first thing to focus on would be the numbers. I didn't, and to my detriment. I mean, we we ultimately had a really successful photography business, and financially could have been in a much better place had we proactively managed our finances better. And so this this idea of proactively managing our finances, I mean, certainly take advantage of, of something like QuickBooks Online to start plugging your numbers into, get with an accountant who can help you manage this. But at the very beginning of all of that is... This right here that Nick is talking about, which is to sit down, know the numbers that need to be coming in, set up the business model to enable you to make those numbers, and now you've got really specific goals that will drive your day-to-day actions. And I think this is wonderfully tangible, practical, pragmatic, and I love this advice.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was great, and, and that you know, it's it's so motivating to be able to see a goal, and, and you you look at you look at the figures, and you think, wow, another five headshot sessions and I and that would be it, you know, and you can, that's, that's a pretty good kick in the backside to, to get yourself up and, and to start marketing for that bit of extra work to to be able to do that. And yeah, it it was brilliant. And that, that was, I found that really useful to to be able to do that. And without that, I think you are risking, you know, having a bit of a false start, which is going to be difficult, not just because you have to go back, you know, to, to a a standard way of working or an old job, but, I think it can hit the confidence there because if you have a, if if it doesn't work, then it's going to mean that next time you either need to do something quite different or or you're going to be worried about it failing again, and that could that could really hit the confidence.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and your experience, Nick, and and again, props to you for taking the leap, uh, and largely on your son's advice, just going for it. I mean, at some point, we have to do that because it's easy to get caught up in our heads as photographers or artist types, maybe we would call ourselves and, and overanalyze and overprocess. As long as we've taken the time to do a little bit of planning, like you just described at some point, we just have to make that move. So first of all, being honest with ourselves about whether or not this is something that we actually want to take on. Is it truly a reflection of our bigger picture life goals? And, uh, and then looking at the numbers, as you described so wonderfully, just on a very simple, practical level, doing a little bit of math. And um, and and with that information, then setting up your business model, doing some projections, and ultimately deciding that the client who you need to target and the services that you need to offer to that client is really important. And then with this information, of course, you can effectively plan that exit strategy they referred to. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, a less planned out exit strategy. I I will be honest, on my end, I was when I was still shooting part time, I was in the optics industry, and long story short, I decided because of a a, a bad business uh, that I was working for. I say bad business. The the employer or employers were lying to their clients, and so I got out of that business. I came home and I was suddenly full-time in photography. I had to you know, make it work, essentially. But I, I love this much more pragmatic, practical approach that, that you're suggesting. And if anybody listening in is, is part-time in photography or maybe hasn't even started yet, these are some really important ideas to consider if you're interested in going full-time in photography. There's wonderful opportunity to, to get into the photography industry and ph- photography business now. But you need to consider some of these details. And uh, Nick, I appreciate you sharing those details with us today. Just in closing, will you reiterate where our listeners can find you online, where they can follow what you're doing?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, the website is uh, nickchurchphotography.co.uk. Likewise, on Facebook, Nick Church Photography and Instagram also, um, same handle. So um, on there, I'm doing training on around some of these ideas as well. I think because I was so late to the game, I think I'm a good example of you know you you can be 40 you can be 50 and you can and you can think oh i fancy a career change and and the fact that you haven't ever taken photos before that doesn't need to be a barrier to actually having a successful photography business if you plan it the right way and this is you know it's not through being any any brilliance that i've got it was just that i knew i had to plan it because i didn't i had no other option i didn't ha, you know i knew i had to be fairly clinical in getting the skills that i needed as quickly as possible so that was the only way for me to do it um, yeah our website and facebook is is my main um the, the main bits to sort of see what's going on and um catch up on the news there
0: wonderful well we'll we'll link to these in our show notes again for those of you listening in take advantage of the show notes at bokeh, B-O-K-E-H com. Haley does a wonderful job of putting those together there for you. Take advantage of those. We'll link to these resources and uh, sites in the show notes from this episode. Thanks again, Nick, for making time for the Boca podcast.
1: Uh, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics. And guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit PhotographersEdit.com.